0: Hi, and welcome back to Becca Babble's podcast. I'm your host, Becca. I'm a certified personal trainer, holistic health coach, and future chiropractor on my way to figuring out this thing we called life. Now, let's get babbling. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Becca Babble's podcast. I'm your host, Becca, and today I have a special treat for you guys. I am so excited to release this episode. I had so much fun interviewing Paige And I think you guys are going to love it. Paige is just a wealth of knowledge. It's crazy how much she knows and how much she can fit in her brain. I just, I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode. We talk about her living in France. We talk about her recovering from orthorexia and what it took for her to get out of orthorexia. And then we also talk about everything that has to do with the gut. If you are struggling with gut issues, you are going to want to get a pen and paper while you're listening to this episode because Paige dives into a ton of interesting stuff when it comes to the gut. So you're definitely going to want to listen to that part of the episode super duper carefully. But Paige is a certified personal trainer, a holistic health coach, and she has her master's in science in human nutrition and functional medicine from the University of Western States. She specializes in helping women release their restrictive mindsets so that they can optimize their health and heal their guts, hormones, and relationship with themselves and their bodies. We love all of that. If you guys like my podcast, you're definitely going to want to check out Paige's podcast. She has her own podcast and it's called Paige Talks Wellness Podcast. She teaches people how to control their health in an information overload. I know when I first started learning nutrition information, I was just like, this one person is saying this, but the other person is saying this. Who am I supposed to listen to? Paige makes things very blunt and honest and truthful. She gives you the right information, and gives you all the information without making you feel super overwhelmed. She digs into things like nutrition, fitness, and mindset so that listeners can truly heal from their digestive issues, hormonal imbalances, chronic stress, and more without obsession and restriction. Ooh, we love not being restricted. We love feeling like a bird and being free. So, you're definitely going to want to check out her podcast. She also is releasing a program called pH Balance. If you are struggling with acid reflux, you're definitely going to want to check out this program. It's going to be linked in the description. And I'm pretty sure when this podcast is being released, she had mentioned that the program was going to be opening up. So if you are struggling with acid reflux, definitely go check that out. But besides all that, I can't wait to babble with you next time, and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, so to get started, I just wanted to ask you, cause I feel like this is something that I have to ask you since you're like a wealth of knowledge. Um, I literally, when I think of Paige, all I think of is like the textbooks we were supposed to have in school, but like with all the actual good information <laughs> and the entertaining information with it too. So, I wanted to ask you, is there a specific topic that you're digging into right now that makes you like super excited and keeps you up at night?
1: Um, honestly right now and this is this is kind of going away from like I guess being like a a wealth of information on Google as far as like scientific things go, but I've really been digging into manifestation recently and like fear and like more of the the woo-woo side of health that I think gets tied into a lot of the reasons why we do what we do. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if if there's like a certain direction you want to, you want me to go with that, but um, just really starting to think about kind of the reasons why people make the choices that they make. And as a coach, then like how I can help them figure out that why, so that if they want to change it great, or at least they kind of have an understanding as to why they're doing the patterns that they find themselves in all the time.
0: That's really interesting. How, what have you like come across that you've started to realize throughout this?
1: Yeah, um, well, for me, it's definitely been the the fear that I am holding myself back and more of the fear of, I guess it's like the fear of failure and the fear of success. So I made a like a TikTok about this yesterday and I was basically talking about how I, it, over the last 2 years like i've started my own business i'm very happy with that it's doing well i'm i'm expanding a little bit but i definitely know that i'm not putting in my all and like i i come to i came to terms with that and part of that was definitely because i was going through school over the last 2 years and so some of it was logical like I'm not going to put in a billion hours of work and burn myself out on this because I do need my me time. You know, like I need to make sure that I am not growing so fast that it becomes uncontrollable, but now I'm done with school. And I found myself like at the the very end of this past year, 2022, and then coming into 2023 at first, like being nervous to start expanding. And I realized it's not just because i was using school as an excuse it's because i'm afraid of the success and all of the things that come with it and i'm also afraid of failing because when i i put my heart and soul into everything that i do and so i know that there was like a little scared part of me that said okay if you put your actual all into everything that you're doing and it doesn't work then you're a failure and that was really scary to come to terms with. And, but now that I've kind of realized that I was doing that to myself, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm refusing, uh, cause I am very stubborn and I am very, uh, driven to push myself outside of my comfort zone and kind of like get uncomfortable with all of those feelings. And, So when I felt the resistance towards actually like continuing to expand my 2023 word is expansion this year, I was like, you know what, screw that. I'm just, I'm going to feel the fear, do it anyways.
0: That's amazing. And I feel like a lot of people would be like, Oh, no, most people are just afraid of failing. I find it really interesting that you were like, No, it's the success that I'm afraid of, because I don't, I wouldn't have even thought about that. Most of the time, when I think about things that are keeping me from doing the things that I want to do, it's the fear of failing. But it's interesting how the fear of success behind it is still that failing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 just an it's an interesting thing to think about cuz yeah, most of us are just like, "Oh, well, what if I fail?" And I know that there's there's a quote somewhere where it's like, "What if I fail?" but it's like, "Oh, but what if you fly?" And it's like the the intention behind that quote though isn't what I'm getting at. I'm getting at like, "What if you end up flying so high you hit the sun?" You know, like there is going to be an extreme high and an extreme low but at the same time like until you actually do the thing that you're putting off you're never going to know either way and that's also a failure in another way like you're disappointing yourself by not trying
0: Mm -hmm. what do you think is making you like i know you were saying it's the fear of success that's keeping you from moving forward but what are you doing to like get through that
1: uh acting like not like just acting on things that I wouldn't have in the past. Like I've had a laundry list of things that I wanted to do with my business that I kept saying, Oh, you know, when I'm done with school, when I'm done with school and now I'm done with school. So it's time to stop hiding behind school. And so I'm working on releasing my group program, pH balance. I've had that in the back of my mind for literally a year and a half. I've had the name for even longer. Jordan came up with it. Uh, my husband And he's responsible for like all of my creative nonsense because I am not, I do not have a creative bone in my body, but I can come up with the content to back it up. Um, And I also wanted to do more things like this, get on more podcasts, actually share my story and share my knowledge. Cause that's why I got into this in the first place, like podcasting, but also coaching. Like I wanted to be able to take really complicated health and fitness and now Like mindset to, I guess, information and try and give it to people in a way that is easily digestible for them and isn't so scientific and so above what their level is. Because I think that that's really unfair as well. So expansion definitely through podcasts and group programs and I'm taking on more one-on-one clients right now, working on getting some people into that container. And it's definitely the most uncomfortable thing for me, but I love it.
0: Yeah, I know for myself, I didn't realize this. Like I, I don't think that I know that much as far as like health, nutrition. Like I feel like I have a basic knowledge for the most part. Um and from what I've learned, like I guess I'm thinking of myself comparing to you obviously, but you also have a master's. So like there's a difference there. But um It's funny because I'll be talking about all these different things, and then my family or my friends are like, huh? Like, I recently met up with a friend, um, and I was talking about weightlifting and how I program my exercises and stuff like that. And she just goes, I just know the, and she's doing a motion of like pulling her arms towards her. She's like, I know the pulley thing like this, and I know the pulley thing like this. And I'm like, I didn't realize that people don't know this. So then it kind of just reinforces in you how or reinforces, I guess, for me that like you need to make things digestible or like what's the point of even knowing that knowledge?
1: Absolutely. And I love, yeah, like (laughs) the pulley thing. Like I I get that all the time from my family, too. Uh, I only have I, I think my uncle and my cousin are the only two that really are into Lifting as well. And so I, and I've even taught them things as being a personal trainer and it's just so funny to see like the looks on their faces when I started finally getting strong and like getting into all of that, because it definitely was more of like a man's world beforehand. But now I'm like, actually I could, I could squat you (laughs) come at me.
0: I try and do that to my dad sometimes, but he just laughs and he's like, there's no way. And I was like, there will be one day, though. I will do it.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. We will get there.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I did want to ask one more question because I'm interested in how you came up with the name Imperfectly Page Wellness, because I know one of your sayings is like being imperfect. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How did you start working towards being okay with being imperfect?
1: Yeah, so this goes all the way back to college for me. Um, I I guess as a little bit of background, I grew up a total perfectionist and it's still something that I fight against to this day. Um, my mom loves to tell the story about how I think I was in third grade the first time I ever missed a word on a spelling test and I came home and cried. And like, this was one of those things where it was like, I got a 19 out of 20 instead of a 20 out of 20, but I misspelled the word. And for the record, the word was until I put two L's and I have never once misspelled it for the entirety of the rest of my life. So (laughs) that's the kind of like neuroticism we're working with. And I always always uh, was striving to do my best. I wanted to have, you know, the 4.0 and just be the best at everything that I did. And for the most part, like I do have to say, I, I am lucky. Like I am very grateful that I process information very quickly. I'm really good at disseminating information to people as well. And so I know that I do have a talent for it, but just because you have a talent for it doesn't necessarily make it not a toxic trait (laughs) and it definitely turned into a toxic trait. So in my sophomore year of college, um, I started kind of dipping my toe into the world of orthorexia. And for those of you who don't know, orthorexia is in type of eating disorder. I believe it's still considered a non-specified eating disorder where you kind of have an obsession over counting calories, eating the right quote unquote things, uh, making sure you're getting in a certain amount of exercise in, in essence, you're becoming like the typical fit, fit, fitsta chick model person on Instagram that just like has it all together all the time. And for me, this came with ridiculously under eating for my body size, but not so much as to be considered anorexic. Like I I never didn't eat or thought I couldn't eat. I just thought I could only eat specific things that, you know, the typical like almonds and apples and oatmeal made with water and like all of the sad foods that I still enjoy, but to, you know, cooked in butter and everything else good now. And so I got myself into that world and it kind of sucked me in and I was working out twice a day. I was doing Jillian Michaels nonsense DVDs in my room and doing more cardio on top of that. And I was getting praised for it. Of course, Um, this is something that happens all the time in, in life where behaviors that are seen as good can take a. I I guess like a downturn um, on somebody, but you don't know it. And so you start praising it anyway. So I was constantly being told, Oh, like you have so much self-control. I could never do this. You're getting to the gym all the time. That's absolutely amazing. You're only eating a salad. Like, how are you doing this? This is so amazing. Meanwhile, I'm like staring at my ceiling in the middle of the night, every night starving, but telling myself, Oh, I can't eat until breakfast. Red flag. Um, I remember going to the movies in the summertime and having to wear my winter coat because I was so cold all the time because I was underfueling myself. I don't know how I managed to keep good grades in college because I was so hungry during classes that like you could hear my stomach growling. And for some reason, I thought that that was OK. Um, and I just basically got trapped in this routine because I was like, oh, this is a way that I can feel control in a in a time of my life when I was feeling very out of control otherwise. And then I was lucky enough to actually choose um, to study abroad in my junior year. And I ended up leaving and going to France, Nice, France, for six months. And I stayed in a homestay. And in a homestay, you cannot... Refuse the food, at least not in France. Like that is seen as the absolute worst thing that you can do to somebody is refuse their cooking. And growing up Italian, I kind of had the same mindset. And I was like, I know what a sin this is if I don't eat it. And so I was kind of forced to eat food and to not exercise because I didn't have access to a gym. I could just walk, which was fantastic. Like, don't get me wrong, I love walking around new cities. But it really forced me to kind of come to the terms with the fact that, like, I was eating food and it was delicious food and I felt better and I didn't gain a hundred pounds and like nothing bad happened to me. And I also just was kind of like, forced to be alone, which also helped. And I think anybody who's listening to this, who's ever studied abroad, you kind of know what it's like to be totally and utterly alone in a place where really no one cares about you. And I say that in the most loving way, but it kind of forced me to be like, oh my God, I need to take care of myself. Like, what am I doing? I like, what have I been doing for the last year of my life? And So I ate all those fear foods and I didn't put on a ton of weight and I really enjoyed my time in France. And I really think that that was what helped me heal, um, which was just like putting myself outside of my comfort zone, kind of going back to what we were talking about before. And so when I got back to the States, I kind of decided, okay, I made it through the hard part. I'm shifting out of this perfectionistic. I need to be eating all the right things and doing all of the right things mindset, I want to keep this going. And so one of the first things I did was take a weightlifting class and try to weightlifting. I had never touched a barbell in my life. And I was a senior taking a class with mostly freshmen, which was also hilarious. Um but I made it through. I started literally from the ground up. I previous to college danced for 16 years, so I had like a very thin and like strong lower body but not muscular whatsoever. And so it took me a really long time to kind of build up that strength, but I kind of fell in love with the feeling of being strong and being empowered and using exercise and food to actually lift me up instead of like to use it as a coping mechanism, as a control mechanism. And so then after that, um, I graduated it. I got my degree in French and political science that I no longer use, but I don't care. It was still a very good experience. Um and then ended up getting my personal training certification while I was working at a tech job that was more in line of the field of study that I was in. Um and but honestly like that the the trip abroad is what really started getting me into the mindset of like being imperfect and kind of ditching perfectionism because i was realizing that it was not serving me whatsoever
0: was it you that came up with the thought of like this isn't like what was the thing or the moment that made you think like oh this isn't right because i know you had said that you were forced to eat this food or you would like have shame but i even know like when I was deep in my eating disorder, it was like, I could have the shame all that I wanted, but the guilt of eating that certain food still made me want to be like, no, I'll be as uncomfortable as I want. I'm, I'm choosing the uncomfortable for my family telling me like, Hey, you should be eating food.
1: Yeah. And I definitely had a similar experience. It was a couple, I want to, it might've been the night before I left to go to France. I went out to dinner with my mom and She sat me down and we talked about a lot of things that night, but one of the things she said to me, like she looked over at me, like when we were done eating and she was just like, are you okay? And I was like, what do you mean? Because up until this point, I had been masking so hard, all of this that was going on. Like nobody knew. And when I say nobody knew, I mean like literally nobody knew that I was struggling so much with like food and exercise. And which isn't a good thing for what it's worth. Like, don't, don't hide that shit. Um, sorry. I don't know if you, (laughs) you do swearing on your podcast. Okay. Um, and she was just like, I can tell, like, you just, you look like sunken, you know, like I, she could tell that I wasn't sleeping, that I wasn't eating enough. And at that point, I think I had lashed out a couple of times at family members who had like tried to get me to eat certain things. And I just absolutely refused. Um, and I was mean all that, like a lot because I was hungry. And that is a thing that happens too. like your personality changes when you're running on fumes. And so I definitely remember her having that conversation and just being like, are you going to be okay going abroad? Like you have to promise me that you're, you know, you're going to basically like still come back type of thing because she knew how deep I was in it. And also that I was going away where nobody else was going to be watching me. And so I, that was kind of like something that i definitely referred back to as like people are concerned and this isn't just praise like at first it was oh you're taking care of yourself and then after a while the people closest to me were like oh maybe this isn't that big of a thing or mm-hmm. like this is too big of a thing like you're do- you're you're putting too much into this so you kind
0: of like already had i i know for me because i had a similar experience with my mom but you almost have like their face in your yeah. head while you're going through that process. And you're like, Oh, it just gets the clock or the, it gets your mind start thinking about things differently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the other stuff too was just like going and experiencing a different country. Like I I've talked about this. I, it's been years probably since I've talked about this, but people in France do not look at food and exercise the same way that people in the States do. Like I, I, it is so toxic here compared to europe it's insane and i actually other than i had met my husband uh or like not then but like now husband at the time 2 months before two or 3 months before i left to go to france to go to study abroad and before meeting him i had no intention of ever coming back to the united states like i i would come back for graduation and then i was leaving like i was going to go to france and stay there and I mean, I'm, you know, I'm glad that I didn't and I'm glad that I have my life here, but I just, I really do think that the Europeans definitely have a better perspective when it comes on or it comes to using food as something to celebrate and to be excited about and to just not just use it as a way to control the way that your body looks. Cause I think that's all it kind of comes down to in the States a lot of the time.
0: What were some differences that you saw? Like, I know you had said that they they celebrate it, but like what were some interactions that you had that were kind of just like, oh wait, this is kind of different than like being at home?
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so a bunch. <laughs> uh the first being that breakfast was always sweet, which is like I love sweet breakfast. Don't get me wrong. I try and prioritize a little bit more protein than the French do now, just for my own sake, but Seriously, we would have you know cereal and milk and a baguette and Nutella, or like my host dad would go and buy us croissants and pastries on Sundays, and that was your breakfast. Um, lunch was a huge affair and is all over Europe, I'm told. Um, where you literally like the whole city would shut down for two hours, except for the restaurants, and everybody would break and go and eat, and you'd you know drink wine, have like bread is very readily available there. Um, which for me was insane because I was like, Oh my God, like all of these people are eating so many carbs. What is wrong with them? And then I grew to love it. And I still, to this day, bread is definitely my favorite food. Um, and it would have, you know, you'd have three course meal at least and plus the bread, plus the wine, and then go back to doing whatever you're doing for a couple of hours. And then everybody would have dinner and still have like an abundance of food. Like we always had bread on the table with food and it wasn't ever cut into slices. It was just like, here's the baguette, rip off a chunk, like go for it, do whatever you want. Everything's, everything's fresh. Everything's delicious. Um, You'd go to a market. Like I, I hardly ever went to an actual grocery store. When I was there, you would just go to a market and you could buy dry goods and fruits and vegetables and meats and it it just it wasn't attached to nutrition facts it wasn't attached to all of like the prepackaged nonsense like lean cuisine meals and stuff that you would see all the time in the states like people ate and made real food all the time and it was just that's just how it was which to the little american girl was very strange
0: yeah it almost sounds like they took pride in their food like i know for me something that really changed my mindset around food was almost like saying a little blessing to my food before i ate it because like a it gets me in that like calm parasympathetic state where i'm just like chill rest and digest but then also it just like makes me realize the food that's in front of me and lets me like take a breath Mm -hmm. to where i know we're so busy around here that it's kind of just like, "oh, I'm hungry, so like let's eat some food." To where like it almost sounds there they're like, "Oh no, I'm like making an an event to go like get the go to the market and get like fresh fruits and vegetables and like get a nice tasting piece of bread that I will share with my friends and family."
1: Mhm. Absolutely. And I mean, France is basically the culinary capital of the entire world. <laughs> um so it I definitely lucked out in going there and I really do think that being in France plus that combination of uh, having my now husband around really helped me start to love food again and kind of explore that a little bit more because he is a total foodie and always has been his entire life and never has had an issue with his relationship with food. And so when I got back into the States, I definitely have to say being around that energy helped a lot. Like having somebody around who I mean, I I actually don't remember when I told him that I even had issues with like eating disorder related things at all, um, because I, I do just remember that when we had that conversation, he was completely shocked because he had no idea. Um, and that was mostly because I would, you know, do all of my restricting early in the day. And then I'd go out on a date with him and eat an entire pizza because I hadn't eaten anything that entire day. And that was my quote justification for it, which is such, such a toxic thing, Um, but yeah, I would definitely be as far as like challenging perfectionism and challenging all of that. Um, just kind of like releasing the hold that I had on myself to just be perfect all the time. And that was definitely something that like, I'm still doing, like I'm still developing. I finally think I'm now that was back in 2016. I finally think I'm getting to the point where I'm really letting go of all of that,
0: Did you ever have like hiccups along the way? Because I know um, when I came back from treatment, it was kind of like this, like, oh, you're coddled in this little area, and then you go back to real life. What were some of the things that kind of like made you almost like, I don't want to say revert back, but like kind of made you be like, oh my gosh, I'm a little scared, and then how'd you get through that?
1: Yes, so when I graduated college, um, there was a period of four months where I ended up getting a job as a hostess at a restaurant that was nearby to us. And that definitely messed with me a lot. Um, And I think it's just because being in a restaurant, you're constantly around food and like restaurant food is inherently a little bit heavier. Um, And so this was like, I was constantly surrounded by fried everything and people would just like take, you know, you get like crew meal or whatever and you could just eat that food whenever. Um, And that was kind of just combined with the fact that I didn't have really anyone else in my life at the time around me, uh, other than my now husband, but he would go to work during the day and I would just stay home because I didn't have to be at the restaurant until four. And so he would come home at like three 30. I would leave at four and go and work until like 11 midnight and then come home and he'd be sleeping. And so I was just kind of in a place where I was by myself all the time and like controlling my food and controlling my exercise was a great way to pass the time. Let me tell you, I spent so much brain power trying to do that. And so I needed to come up with new ways to occupy myself that didn't involve those things. Cause I know for a lot of people it's like, Oh, you know, go on walks. I needed to be told like, don't go on walks. (laughs) Like don't like you need to sit down. You need to chill. Um, I still credit. I I got a Nintendo Switch. I'm a total nerd, by the way. You can see I have an Eevee in the background here. Um, But I bought myself a Nintendo Switch with my graduation money and I played Breath of the Wild. And I literally think that it is what kept me sane during those months where I didn't have the supervision. I was feeling really uncomfortable, but I still was forcing myself to like stay the path.
0: (laughs) I can totally relate to that because it's almost like I've found this more and more to the people that I talk about who have had a history of eating disorders where it's almost like your mind is so stimulated that you don't want to be bored or at least I know for myself one of the things that I did consistently was like I would tell my parents I hate being bored I don't want to be bored I don't like being by myself and then slowly as like my eating disorder progressed it was like that took up so much time and then now that I'm out of that it's like oh my gosh, I have a lot of time. I have so many other things that I can do with my life and actually like now turning it towards the positive by like making a podcast. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it's just, it's crazy how much time that you can spend thinking about food if you're not eating enough food. And that's actually one of the first things that I like to ask clients that I work with is like, how much time do you spend thinking about food? Because if, like obviously now, I love food. So I think about food probably more than the average person. I like watching cooking shows. The the food network is always in the backgrounds at here, but now it's a different intention. Like we have it on because we want to see new cooking ideas before I would like obsessively watch food network or like scroll Pinterest and look at food because I was like, Ooh, look at all of those good things that I'm not going to let myself have. Like it was basically just kind of like a punishment type thing. Um, and so I think intention is a really big Thing to consider too. But yeah, like if you're spending so much time just consumed with the idea of eating, that probably means you should go and eat something.
0: Yeah. So if right now you're thinking about food, go and eat a snack.
1: Yes, absolutely. Love it. Maybe not something super loud because the crunching might not, you might not be able to hear us over the crunching. I've definitely (laughs) been in that kind of a thing before where I'm like, I want some pretzels, but I guess I have to wait.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah. Don't go get some popcorn or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I really like this whole conversation with the eating disorder and like discussing recovery and all of that. But I do want to dig into gut health because I know that's something that you're really interested in and have a ton of information about. So I know gut health is kind of like this whole buzzword thing where you like take like kombucha or take like a bunch of probiotics and everyone's like, I like have trouble pooping. So this is what I'm supposed to do. What are some misconceptions that you find people have with gut health and healing it?
1: Oh my God. So many. Um, I I think the most important thing to realize, and I, I, every time I say this, it weirds me out a little bit more, but you really need to come to the, to, to the knowledge that your gut is technically outside of your body, um, which is weird sounding, but really you just have a giant hole from your mouth all the way through to your butt. Like that, that is all that it is. And when you put food in it, the digestive system is supposed to go through digest it, break down all of those food particles into smaller parts, and then absorb it into your bloodstream so that you can use it for energy for, you know, building muscle for proteins, uh, creating hormones for fats, creating energy with carbs. Great. Um, everything else is just comes out the other end. So that's what fiber is for. Um, but it's, as easy as that sounds there are a lot of steps that go into that and so i think one of the biggest misconceptions is that something like a kombucha a probiotic um or you know any of these like ridiculous fiber supplements on the market are going to fix certain problems that you have with digesting and absorbing food without kind of understanding, you know, when are you having these problems with food? Are you having issues with like indigestion as soon as you eat something? Because in that case, maybe you're dealing with some acid reflux, some stomach acid dysregulation, or if you're eating food and then three hours later, you're like, wow, I'm super bloated and like gassy and it's painful maybe that means you have some small intestinal bacterial overgrowth happening, or you're having issues with not enough fiber or too much fiber. So things are getting stuck in your small or large intestines and you need to work on that. Um, But it's like when you say gut health and like when people talk about the gut in general, I think that a lot of the times we just assume like, oh, my stomach hurts. So I have bad gut health. So I need a probiotic. And it's like, Yes. Probiotics help sometimes in certain cases. Um, but that's not just the catch all thing. And there's a lot of really easy free ways to better your gut health without having to buy anything.
0: Oh, like what?
1: Uh, chewing your food. (laughs) (laughs) This is something, honestly, I tell people this all the time. I'm like, your stomach does not have teeth Chew your food. Um, it cures, honestly, like I seriously want to say it cures about half of, all of the digestive problems that people deal with um, or like eating when distracted. So you're not chewing or washing your food down with liquid, like people who keep the cup next to them at all time and like take a bite and just kind of swallow it all down. You're doing your digestive system a disservice because your mouth has digestive enzymes in it that start breaking down starches immediately when it hits your tongue and your teeth are also there for a reason. It's supposed to macerate the food and actually turn it into Like a bolus so it can go down into your throat and not be sitting in whole pieces. That's not great for your stomach.
0: I know my dad always asks me, he's like, do you want water with your meal? And I'm like, no, I'm good. Like, I want to eat my food. And he's like, what are you talking about? You need to drink water. And I'm like, yeah, I will, just not while I'm eating.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I do have to say this doesn't mean you can never enjoy a drink with your meal like that. You still can have liquids during your meal, but don't be pounding it after every single bite. Like you, I say this in jest, but you know, you know that you're one of those people (laughs) or not,
0: (laughs) you know, if you're like speeding through your meal or if you're taking your time and just enjoying it.
1: Exactly. And honestly, if, you, especially if you're dealing with acid reflux, that's one of the things that I tell people to do to start is stop drinking liquids with meals. And a lot of that just comes to how much volume your stomach can hold at one time, because if you're filling your stomach up with a bunch of water, The, um, the typical thing that people believe is, oh, you're going to dilute your stomach acid. If you drink too much water, that is not true. Your stomach acid is like stronger than battery acid. As in, if you dripped it on the floor, it would burn a hole through the floor. So trust me, water is not going to do anything to it. But if you are filling your stomach up to the point uh, that it's like a swollen balloon, like just imagine overfilling a water balloon or something like that eventually it's going to burst up that little lower esophageal sphincter, which is the little part at the top of your stomach and the bottom of your throat. And when that starts to happen, it happen. that's when you can start getting that acid kick back up or that rising feeling in the back of your throat that people kind of associate with acid reflux.
0: Yeah. I've also heard like, there's a lot of misconceptions with acid reflux. Like I've heard mm-hmm. you talk about how a lot of the times it's like, it's low stomach acid. And I know for me, I was always told like, Take tums like if you are having heartburn take tums or like when I um, when I cook food, a lot of the times people will tell me oh don't make it too spicy or that will make my like heartburn be really bad, is that true.
1: With certain people, yes, um, at least for the the spicy food thing. However, once again, this is one of those things where people always say like, oh, you love eating that now, but when you're older, you're going to see that, you know, this gets worse. It gets worse as you stop eating it. So if you start noticing like one or two times, oh, hey, spicy food gives me heartburn. So you stop eating spicy food. Then, of course, the next time you eat spicy food years later, your system's not going to be prepared for it and you're probably going to have heartburn again. Um, that's why if you look at a lot of like, um, ethnic cultures around the world that cook with a lot of spice, they eat that until they die and they're totally fine. But over here in America where it's like, oh, you might have spicy food every once in a while, it can make symptoms flare. Um, but like you said, sometimes with acid reflux, it's not necessarily that you have too much stomach acid going on. It could be that you don't have enough. And this is isn't the case for everyone because everyone is bio-individual, but a lot of the times, uh, with my clients, especially people who have been popping Tums like candy, um, it's really hard for their systems to digest the food because your stomach's job is to get food acidic enough and break it down enough that it can drop into your small intestine in the next like segment of the digestive system. That's only going to happen if your stomach's pH drops to a certain degree. I don't, remember it off the top of my head. It's around three, I think. Um, but it has to reach that level before the gate opens and things can leave your stomach and go into your small intestine. So if you are popping Tums, like it's candy and you're keeping that pH too high, all that's going to do is make it so that all of the food you just ate is sitting in your stomach, churning around and not able to empty down to go into the next step. And the only way to do that is to get your stomach acidic enough to go into the next step, which is why a lot of the times I'll tell clients, if you can handle it, like if you're not literally burping acid up because obviously at that point you would want to do something a little more soothing, like slippery elm or marshmallow root. If you can, do like a teaspoon of lemon juice in like a quarter cup of water or a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar in a quarter cup of water and drink that down. And it it really does work. It helps, everything in your system get to a point where digestion can kind of continue and it's going to remove a lot of that pressure that buildup, and a lot of your symptoms
0: yeah it almost sounds like a lot of the times what it well in america i don't know what it's like in other places it's almost like we always continuously put a band-aid on the problems instead of like actually being like oh why am i having acid reflux instead of like oh i gotta fix the acid reflux
1: Yes. And one of the biggest illustrations, I I believe that I learned this somewhere throughout uh, my master's program, but people will talk about how the difference between conventional and functional medicine is that like, let's say you were that I just started slamming my head on the desk right now. A conventional doctor would be like, oh, here you go. Here's some ibuprofen for your headache. The functional medicine doctor is going to be like, why are you slamming your head on the desk? (laughs) Like there are two different ways to go about fixing that problem. And so similarly, like you said, with acid reflux, it kind of turns into like, oh, you have acid. Well, here is something to get rid of the acid. And it's like, but why were you having those symptoms in the first place? Like what was going on? Chances are it's because, you know, you don't have enough digestive enzymes or enough acid to kind of digest the food and keep it moving along the system the way that it should.
0: Yeah, and I think it even goes back to like the whole, like why is spicy food an issue for you? Your body is like, I know for, um, with like proteins, if or like even with dairy, it's like if you don't have something for a certain amount of time, like those digestive enzymes go away and yes. or, and like there's less of them. So then your body's just kind of like, I can't break it down as much. It's like your body is adapting to what you are giving it. And if you're not giving it to your body anymore, it's going to get in this like weird state for a while until it adapts to it again.
1: Absolutely. And this is actually something I'm, I'm glad you brought up the lactose intolerance. There's a couple of different types of lactose intolerance. And I I believe the one that I'm describing now is like secondary lactose intolerance, which is exactly what you said. When people stop drinking dairy or having a lot of dairy, your system kind of goes, okay, well, I guess I don't need to make the enzymes for that anymore because your body's an adaptation machine. It wants to only spend energy on things it needs to survive. So if you're not having a glass of milk every day, like you used to when you were a kid, it's like, okay, Hey, we don't need to make these anymore. But then when you go out and side, like, I want a milkshake, your body's going to be like, Oh my God, what did you do? And that's actually why with a lot of my clients, if they don't have an actual dairy allergy or like a, an intolerance where like genetically they don't make the enzymes, which you can, you usually know whether or not that's something that's happening with you. Um, Cause it would be like a lifelong thing, not something that you develop but if you've developed a lactose intolerance over time, having small amounts of yogurt is actually a great way to start being able to tolerate dairy again because yogurt contains a bunch of different lactobacillus bacteria that actually have the enzymes to help break the dairy down inside it, and which is really, really cool. Um, and it's also fermented. So it's going to give um, your own gut bacteria like a little bit of a boost. And over time, daily, eating this can actually help you regain tolerance to lactose again and it's something that's been studied for quite some time now but nobody really talks about people are just like i guess i'm lactose intolerant now and i'll deal with it but if you're consistent with it you can actually kind of reverse it
0: oh my gosh that's amazing i didn't know (laughs) that yeah because like i know I've heard people talk about how like there's this whole rise in like people being lactose intolerant. And it mm-hmm. was just because like when kids are little, people are now giving their kids like almond milk and like oat milk and whatever other milk there is out there, which sometimes I like to be that weird person that's just like, no, it's like juice, it's not milk. Um, <laughs> and now it's just kind of like, well, duh, because they're not getting the the dairy. And yep. then with the yogurt, is it like, how, what would someone start out with? Like, would it just be like a spoonful, or like how much should a person be giving themselves if they want to get into that?
1: Yes, I did this with a client very recently, actually, and we started her out with a teaspoon, um, because she was dealing with other gut issues as well, and so we wanted to make sure that we weren't going to really like negatively affect her, but it started with a week of having a teaspoon of yogurt every day. Um, I just had her go out and buy like one of the little single serve plain yogurts or whatever. And we worked on that. And then it turned into a tablespoon for a week and we waited and nothing was happening. Like she was okay tolerating it. So I was like, okay, now we can do, you know, two tablespoons. And then a quarter cup. And then eventually she got to the point where she can have like a little cup of yogurt a day and it has not affected her in any way. If anything, her digestion's better than it's ever been, um, which is probably I mean, it's a combination of not only yogurt, but also like other things we were doing to help out her her specific situation with her gut.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so is she able to have like milk now or is it just the yogurt that she can have and that's it?
1: she's been able to have cheese and she's been able to have ice cream. She doesn't really have an interest in drinking milk, um, black coffee gal. So, it, I guess in theory, you know, if she wanted to, she probably could. But at the same time, like I'm kind of the same way. I don't like milk anymore like I used to. Um, but like I used to be the kid that was like the weirdo that would just have a cup of milk um <laughs> and be okay with it, not just like the cartons at lunchtime, like I would seek it out outside of that, but I now would only ever have it in coffee and I actually don't like the taste of hot or steamed milk. I think it leaves a weird film on the inside of my mouth and it's just not pleasant. So that's a personal preference.
0: That makes a ton of sense. Like I, I started increasing milk a little bit and then I, I mostly just do it if it's in like in smoothies, but Mm -hmm. that's pretty much it. I don't drink. I've never been the person to just drink it by itself.
1: It's. I mean, it's you know, to each their own. Um, if you do drink milk by itself, highly recommend full fat milk and not low fat milk. Uh, just saying.
0: Yeah, I know. I did a whole fats episode, and I was like, go for the full fat yogurt.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Don't be full- afraid of the fat. Exactly, full fat yogurt is like honestly God's gift to the world. It's so tasty.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm still so fascinated that like people could fix their lactose intolerance. like in my brain I'm just like oh my gosh like it even takes me back to when people do all this like testing for food sensitivities and I'm just kind of like part of me is like is how like how
1: helpful are those are they actually helpful so it it depends which is everyone's favorite answer is it depends um rule of thumb is if you do decide to take one of those tests, or if it seems like you're reacting to a lot of foods, chances are, it's not the food. You probably have an issue, like an underlying issue in your digestive system somewhere, some kind of leaky gut, um, maybe a parasite, a bacterial overgrowth or imbalance that, or, you know, acid reflux issues, like some, something somewhere along the pipeline isn't working because you shouldn't only be able to eat like two foods. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a place where you're like, okay, only this one thing is really triggering to me. Like for me, um, one of the big ones that I talk about is, uh, raw carrots and raw apples. And a lot of that comes down to oral allergy syndrome. So I'm allergic to birch pollen. And as it turns out, there are proteins in carrot skins and apple skins that are very similar to birch pollen proteins. So if I eat a raw carrot or a raw apple, I get like indigestion. My mouth gets itchy. It's really strange, but that doesn't mean that like raw carrots and raw apples are bad for other people. And that also doesn't mean that something's wrong with my gut. It just means like my body can't handle it that well. Um, so usually instead of doing testing, what I recommend that my clients do is actually just record what you're eating for a couple of days and when symptoms are coming up. And also keep in mind that with a lot of like the non gut related symptoms, so like, let's say acne or, um, like inflammatory pain, you're not gonna notice those things until like 48 to 72 hours later when your body is actually expressing that. And most people can't remember what they ate yesterday, let alone three days ago. And that's where recording it can be really, really helpful. Cause then you might notice a pattern like, hey, I did this with a client a couple, <laughs> this is a couple months ago now, but I was like, um, she kept having acid, but only on random days. And so I was like, write down everything you're eating for a week. And I know that that's a pain in the butt, but I'm going to go and look over it for you and I'm going to figure out what in there could be doing it. Turns out it was avocado. She pulled avocado out. She hasn't had acid. She eats it every once in a while. She has acid. She knows it. She just makes sure that she has like her slippery almond marshmallow root with her.
0: Yeah, it's almost like everyone's diet is going to be different and like different things are going to respond to different people. So just because like, let's say avocado like makes her upset, doesn't mean that's going to make you upset or you should stay away from avocado.
1: Absolutely. Love avocado. It's a fantastic food. It's just not healthy for her. And Mm -hmm. similarly, like for me, I eat raw apples every once in a while, but I know the consequence too. So it's like, Coming to terms with that and knowing like what foods are going to make you feel your best, specifically you, not just like what somebody is saying on Instagram is really, really powerful information to have.
0: Yeah, it's almost like the knowledge is power and then like also like your intention behind it is powerful. Like going back to like the eating disorder, it was like, oh, if you're staying away from avocado because the influencer that you're following tells you not to or that it's bad or like whatever someone wants to say about whatever food, because honestly, anyone can say bad things about any food. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's that reason, then it's kind of like, okay, go and eat the avocado. But if it's like, no, I know it's going to give me acid reflex, but I'm choosing to do this because like I'm out with friends and the salad that I'm ordering has avocado on it and, the, and I really like the salad, then order the salad that has avocado on it and you'll just deal with the consequences later.
1: Absolutely. That's me and Chinese food. Um, I have a soy intolerance and I know it, but I love, you know, like tempeh and, um, like soy sauce and stuff like that in general. And so sometimes I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to an Asian restaurant. I'm going to sacrifice my, my gut a little bit. I know that this isn't going to be the best idea ever, but I'm going to eat it anyway, because I I'm craving it because I'm out with friends because I want to have a good time. And I think it's really important to recognize like that can change from moment to moment too. It doesn't have to be like a, oh, I'm choosing to, you know, avoid this or I'm choosing to eat this always. It really can be like, sometimes it's worth it. And sometimes you might want to be like, oh, you know, I really want to feel my best tomorrow because I have something going on. So instead of ordering something that I know is going to bloat me, I'll just order something else instead.
0: Yeah. And going to like the bloating concept, how, because I know, I go back and forth on like how common bloating should be. I know that's something that's accepted where it's just kind of like, you're gonna bloat or like that's part of like being a woman, but like how going back to like, it may be common or it may be normal, but is it like, is it okay?
1: Um, I mean, is it okay? Yes, because it is like in the sense that like you shouldn't be ashamed of yourself if you are bloated. Mm-hmm. However, there are different kinds of bloating and it's really important to kind of distinguish that. And I don't think that a lot of people are distinguishing that. So I have seen things out there where people will show like, oh, this is me after like eating a salad. And it's like they are, you know, they look six months pregnant, like swollen up like a balloon. You definitely have something going on in your gut there that isn't right. That should not be happening to you. Like You should be able to eat those foods and digest them well and not look six months pregnant after eating a food. Period. Like that, that's where it kind of goes a little too far for me. But that being said, if you go out and eat a meal and you feel good after, but your stomach is obviously bigger because there is something inside it now, that's not bloating. Like that could be coming, at least coming from somebody who used to have like body dysmorphia and like really hate my stomach. I used to think that like after I ate my stomach looked awful, but it was really just because there was food and water in it. (laughs) And and not that it felt bloated. So like, if you're having bloating, like it's painful to you, there's probably something going on in your gut or you ate something that's not agreeing with you. But if you're just like looking at yourself and comparing like before and after of like eating and not eating, which number one is very toxic to do in the first place. But if that's what you're considering bloating, chances are like, it's, it's just your normal everyday fluctuations. And I love what you said about being a woman too. Like because of our menstrual cycles and because of the way that we can hold water, depending on where we're at in our cycle, you can gain and lose pounds of weight in a day and do nothing different. So people always assume like, Oh my God, what did I do wrong? And it's like, well, you're on the 27th day of your cycle. And tomorrow, when you have your period, you're going to drop all of the water weight instantly because your hormones drop. And people are like, what? And it's like, yeah, I, I, There've been videos that I've seen of creators who like that'll happen to, or that, and they'll weigh themselves when they go to bed one night. And then again, when they wake up in the morning and they've lost like 12 pounds, it's, it's wild how much water you can hold. And also like, if you're digesting food and like you go to the bathroom in the morning, you're literally getting rid of some weight too. So mm-hmm. scales and paying attention to those kinds of things or like the minute little changes that your body has not really going to uplift you in any way.
0: Oh my gosh. Getting rid of my scale was like the best thing I could ever do for my mental health.
1: Yep. It's it's just not worth it. The only time I'm ever on a scale, I, I haven't been in years, but when we got cannoli, we needed uh, my corgi. Um, we needed to weigh him like for vet check-ins and stuff. And so we had to get a bathroom scale and like you'd weigh yourself with <laughs> and without the corgi. And it's like, oh my God. But... <laughs>
0: that's hilarious i know for me one of the when i started realizing about like how my menstrual cycle could affect like my body weight and how i felt because um i don't know if this happened to you but with people for myself going through my eating disorder you're so hyper focused on your body like any little body change you're kind of just like oh my gosh i've gained fat when when in reality that usually it doesn't work like that you don't gain weight right uh, weight overnight um So when I started learning about like how my menstrual cycle could affect like, hey, I might be a little bit bloated, it almost like gave me this sense of relief where I'm like, oh, my period's coming in a few days. That's probably why my pants are feeling tighter. And there's no shame in that. I'm just kind of like, I'm a woman, it happens. And then when I have my period and it's over, I'm probably just going to go back to the normal way of feeling.
1: Yep. Absolutely. That's a huge realization. Um, unfortunately I throughout the entirety of my eating disorder and until like relatively recently I was on hormone, hormonal birth control. Um, and so I had like nothing changed in my usual quote cycle that wasn't a real cycle. Um, and I mean, that was great because I didn't really have a lot of the symptoms associated with it, but at the same time, like that's not great because that is a good way to check in with your body and make sure that everything's working. And so now being off of it, it's, it's nice to see like those ebbs and flows. And I I agree with you. It's like, this is cool. Like my body's doing something right. You know?
0: Oh my gosh. I totally agree about like, it's almost like you're your own science experiment that's how I like to look at my period or like think about it because I'm like, oh, it's kind of like I know some people talk about how it's your like your grade book or like what your body's um, grade that it gives you on how you treated it based on what your like menstrual cycle is like.
1: Yep. It's your report card. It's mm-hmm. great.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you for the word. I like couldn't think of what it was. I was like, I've had these when I was younger, but I can't remember the
1: word. Happens yeah. to the best of us.
0: Oh, yeah. Um. So i really thank you for coming on this podcast for today and i really appreciate all the conversations that we had i think a lot of people are going to get a ton of information out of this like i said in the beginning you are a wealth of knowledge um i did want to ask you one last question um if you could tell your younger self anything what would it be
1: oh wow well, okay um probably stop trying so hard Ooh. and not in the way that like i mean not that like don't try at life but the the so hard part is important there um because like i said i started my entire life off as just like the type a perfectionist that did everything always and needed to be the best at absolutely everything and i thought that i could never rest and i could never like exist i was just kind of like a robot built to perform to do things um and so I think the importance there would be like, don't try so hard in the sense that like you don't need to strive for perfection. You can just strive to be you and that's kind of enough and you're still going to be able to do amazing things, but you won't get down on yourself for like, if you don't do those things. I don't know.
0: I love that. It kind of just like goes full circle about like, it's okay to be imperfect. That's what makes you, you.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Exactly.
0: That's awesome. Well, I know people are obviously wanting to get in contact with you. Where can people find you? And like, do you have anything to offer people?
1: Yes. So um, depending on when this episode comes out, we didn't talk about that. When is this coming out?
0: It's coming out in February, like the beginning of February.
1: Okay. Well, this is great. So if it's coming out in the beginning of February, um, I'm actually going to be launching my pH balance group program. Um, It's going to be a four-week program to help get to the root cause of your acid reflux and finally kick that Tums habit. Uh, We're going to go into much more detail on everything acid reflux that I talked about today and uh, doors opened for that on January 30th. And the program is going to start February 20th. So you still have some time to come in and join me for that. Uh, but you can find more over on Instagram at imperfectly page wellness, or my website is www.imperfectlypagewellness.com.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. So definitely go and check all that stuff out. And again, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I really did enjoy this conversation with you.
1: Good. I'm so glad. Thank you for having me on.